Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 203, entitled Orientation. This is the 27th overall episode, and there are 94 to go. Now let's get to some listener feedback. Uh, the first uh, is an email sent by Sci-Fi Horror Fam, and she said, Dear Matt, I'm just listening to your Looking Back at Lost podcast for 123 from a few weeks ago where you mentioned your favorite character on Lost, Anna Lucia. Sci-Fi Horror Fam says, I love her too. Cool that we are both not exactly Jack fans, but we both love Anna Lucia who so many people didn't slash don't like at all. Uh, Sci-Fi Horror Film goes on to say, I'm biased, though. I've always enjoyed Michelle Rodriguez in anything I've seen her. I've always liked her character's attitudes and that she doesn't take anything from anybody. And uh, she closes by saying, just wanted to let you know that I'm an Ana Lucia Cortez fan also. So uh, Sci-Fi Horror Film, I absolutely agree with you. Um, maybe she's... Not my absolute most favorite character. I think that that goes to Desmond. But the time that uh, that Michelle Rodriguez spends on the show is uh, special indeed. She's just uh, she's got this wonderful world weariness to her. Um, it fits with what we learned about the character, with uh, so much about her background uh, as a policewoman, as somebody who was injured, as somebody who uh, who, who can't be a mother, etc. And um, it, she's just a great character. Plus, kind of smoking hot. So there you go. Um, so thank you very much for your email, uh, Sci-Fi Horror Fem. And uh, I also received a wonderful email from Ethan in Brooklyn, uh, no pun intended there. And uh, he had a whole bunch of things to say. Uh, one was, he asked, what about the missing pieces webisodes? Ethan goes on to say, these filled in some key details, such as one that took place before Jack woke uh, from the crash and another one that showed Arts lied when he predicted the weather shift. Ethan goes on to say, this stuff is really interesting and performs a similar function to the new man in charge answering key questions. Would love to hear your assessment of these bits, says Ethan. So Ethan, that's an absolutely wonderful idea. Um, certainly, you know, part of the issue of the webisodes is to look at them chronologically. You know, they take place all throughout the season, or all throughout the series, rather. Um uh, certainly, perhaps in between uh, one of the seasons, I could uh, do an episode about them. Uh, I don't. I, I've certainly seen the missing pieces webisodes. I don't recall offhand how many there are. I think it's probably about ten, and uh, their running time probably approaches that of an episode. Um, I also recall too. I mean, they're good. They're interesting. They're not great. Um, certainly, they were done at a time where. Uh, the entire entertainment industry was trying to exactly figure out how to, you know, how to include online or phones or this sort of thing. I know that at some point in season two, there was discussion about um, 
oh, about these webisodes being for the phone or for, you know, Verizon users only or AT&T users only or, you know, that sort of thing. So I, the quality isn't fantastic. It's not like, say, um, the, uh, the Battlestar Galactica webisodes, which I know the first one, not to talk about another show, but the first one um, or the first set of webisodes uh, taking place for the uh, occupation on Cap- uh, New Caprica. I mean, you watch it all together and it's it's a whole episode. Uh, it's not an awesome episode, but it certainly works together as a whole episode, whereas the lost webisodes certainly are meant to be little vignettes. There's a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, but yes, Ethan, they absolutely warrant uh, some time on, on looking back at Lost. So Thank you very much for your uh, email, Ethan, and I'm sure in upcoming episodes I'm going to uh, hit some of the other points that Ethan shared in his email, which uh, was a, uh, a lengthy email with lots of wonderful thoughts. So that is that for the fan feedback, and now let's get to the episode summary. Hi, I'm Justin from phgeek.com. This is the summary of episode 203, Orientation. In flashbacks, Locke is participating in a support group where he retells the deception caused by his father. Afterwards, another group member named Helen approaches him in sympathy, and they become romantically involved. After spending the night together, Helen wakes to find Locke getting dressed, claiming he is uncomfortable sleeping in an unfamiliar bed. Instead, he goes out to sit in his car outside his father's estate. His father confronts him, saying he knows that Locke has been stalking him, and tells him that he's not wanted. To celebrate six months together, Helen gives Locke a present, her house key, under the condition that he stop going to his father's house. Locke agrees but is unable to keep his word. Helen eventually follows and confronts him. She says he is afraid of moving past what his father has done and moving forward with her. She tells him it is meant to be difficult because what she is asking from him is a leap of faith. In the hatch, the confrontation between Jack, Desmond, and Locke provides enough of a distraction for Kate to knock Desmond down. However, he gets off a shot, which damages the computer. Desmond claims that everyone will die unless the computer is fixed. Kate heads off to get Saeed via an alternate exit. Desmond explains that three years earlier, his boat crashed on the island. He then met a man who enlisted his help in his sole duty, entering a code into the computer every 108 minutes. Desmond claims that the end of the world will come if the button is not pressed. He directs Jack and Locke to watch a short film narrated by a scientist called Dr. Marvin Candle. This film describes a project called the Dharma Initiative says the hatch is an electromagnetic research station called the SWAN and explains that the viewers must enter a code into the computer every 108 minutes. Jack believes that all this is just a social experiment, but Locke feels the film should be taken at its word. Desmond attempts to power up the computer without success. He panics and leaves. Saeed successfully repairs the computer. Locke tells Jack he should be the one to hit the button, but Jack refuses. As the alarm sound, Locke asks Jack, why it is so hard to believe, and Jack asks Locke why he finds it so easy. Locke tells him it was never easy, but that Jack needs to make a leap of faith of his own. With one second to spare, Jack presses the button. The clock resets. Across the island. On the beach, Michael and Sawyer discover Jin being chased by five people whom Jin identifies as the others. The three are knocked unconscious and thrown into a pit. Another prisoner Anna Lucia is later dropped in with them. She introduces herself as another survivor of Oceanic Flight 815. Anna Lucia was in the tail section, which crashed on the opposite side of the island from the fuselage. 
Sawyer tells her that he plans to shoot the guard the next time he appears. Anna Lucia suddenly grabs Sawyer's gun and calls for the guard, Mr. Echo. She was simply a plant. I hope this has been an interesting uh, look into orientation. And uh, I am Justin from phgeek.com. Peace. Thank you very, very much uh, to Justin for sending that in. Now let's get to my thoughts about the episode. It's an effective previously on Lost segment. It makes us think that we're finally going to learn more about the hatch. You know, of course, the two previous episodes have ended uh, at the same point with, uh, well, not too much time spent in the hatch. I also love that they end the recap with the same ending as last week's episode, which is uh, the presumed others, which actually is Echo and the, the Tailies, uh, coming across Sawyer, Jin, and, uh, and Michael. Um, and indeed, they have that ending. They go black for a moment, then they just continue the scene. Uh, this is something that they did wonderfully on Alias, the other J.J. Abrams TV show, or at least the, the previous one, I guess it would be. And uh, it's really, it's nicely done. It's an effective little tool. Um, also in that scene, you know, that, uh, that teaser, uh, sequence, the episode opener, uh, it just has some great jerky camera movement, uh, in part so that we can't see too much aside from Echo's wild and crazy eyes as he, you know, bats people around with his Jesus stick, of course. Um, then we switch to the hatch, uh, when we see the climax of episode 201 for the third time now, I did feel it was getting slightly annoying, but, uh. Say la vie. Certainly, they've they've worked hard to build up the the tension for it, uh, and then we switch to the flashback, and the flashback is a Locke story, and it's very quickly identified as a few years after Locke's kidney was stolen, and uh, what you see, I mean, you know, at this point the credits are still rolling, but uh, you you get an example of why Terry O'Quinn won an Emmy for the role of John Locke. I don't think thirty dollars is worth getting angry about. Well, Francine feels like thirty dollars. Francine feels a little too much, you ask me. You all do. I mean, seriously. So and so never called me back. My mother stole thirty dollars from me. I never even knew who my parents were. A couple years ago, my uh, my birth mother found me, and uh, she told me I was special, and. Uh, and through her, I met my real father. Great news, right? Well, he pretended to love me just long enough to steal my kidney because he had to have a transplant. And then he dropped me back in the world like a piece of trash, just like he did on the day that I was born. Now that's how to do a recap with thunderous oration. And of course, it ends with the introduction of the real Helen. At least the, the scene ends uh, with that, if not the clip. The act uh, ends back at the hatch, and finally, finally, we're able to see some more. Uh, and we see that the computer itself has been shot up. Uh, there's some angry, short-tempered Jack barking orders at everyone. It's it's rather standard stuff at this point. Uh, we then flash back to Locke post-relations with Helen. Uh, he sneaks away to talk to his father, which is obviously odd. Uh, and, I mean, in fact, you know what? It's a bit of a typo there on my part. It's not these talking with his father he's more kind of you know stalking his father i suppose it's uh, much more accurate to say uh but indeed it ends up in a conversation as he's sitting uh sitting outside the father's house in his car uh luckily his father uh, walks into that car and i tell you actor kevin ty who plays uh anthony cooper he is as always just absolutely fantastic 
Morning. Morning. Jen, I know you like to drive through my neighborhood. And I know that every now and then you like to park outside my house. Now, I thought it might all stop when I moved, but uh, here you are. I'll admit, at first I thought it was funny. Now it's just annoying. So how about you tell me what the hell it is you want? Why? Excuse me. no why. You think you're the first person that ever got con. You needed a father figure and I needed a kidney. And that's what happened. He's just so gravelly voiced and kind of so direct in, uh, you know, basically saying to his, to his actual son that, you know, he's just been, uh, you know, that Locke was played for a fool and that Locke should just simply uh, accept that and move on. Um, it, it's kind of the ultimate power play, saying, you know, uh, you know, I acknowledge you, but you're not worth any further. You're not even worth calling the police that you're sitting outside of my car. Just, you know, just, you know, you're, you're that insignificant. So, wonderful, wonderful bit there. Um, moving on, this episode features everything, in my opinion, that is unlikable about Jack. He's filled with temper and anger. He lashes out at that which he doesn't understand. He criticizes those who don't see his perspective. It's just, it's not a great Jack episode. Um, on the flip side, we do get to see our beach bunch back, uh, actually back at the beach. Uh, the sun in the ocean really never looked so good after a few episodes that were uh, in the dark jungle, in the dark water, uh, and of course in the dark hatch. Um, it's just, it's really, really nice. And uh, at the forefront, of course, it's Hurley. Uh, who uh, we kind of get some meta commentating from. Dude, I gotta say, I didn't think we were gonna get through the night. And I wasn't even here for that baby-stealing part. I can assure you it was very exciting. It's about time things are finally returning to normalness. Say! Oh, crap. Say! And of course, if you haven't seen the episode in a while, Kate has run back in order to get Saeed to help come fix the computer. Desmond is feeling uh, out of his element at this point, and uh, that also will kind of you know elevate Saeed and, and Hurley both as characters who will be uh, in the hatch early on and, and interacting with the hatch as this episode goes on. Um, and I mean, indeed, looking at the, at the episode as a whole for a moment, th there's really a sort of joyful glee in watching this episode. It has the tailies. We have uh, the inter introduction of Anna Lucia, who, of course, gets dropped into the pit where Sawyer, Jen, and Michael are. We have Locke and Jack getting ready to watch the orientation film. It's just, you know, in, in, in previous episodes of the podcast, let's say for season one, there certainly were times where I was saying, I can't wait to get to season two. I can't wait to get to, you know, uh, lost in its kind of proper uh, maturation, if you will. And, I mean, this is mature lost. This is... You know, these wonderful little clues and twists. And, of course, this novel features, you know, a number of quick shots of, uh, of uh, different novels and whatnot that, uh, you know, potentially could be clues or, you know, this sort of thing upon first viewing. But 
It's just absolutely fantastic. And of course, we have the uh, wonderful orientation film. Welcome. I'm Dr. Marvin Candle, and this is the orientation film for Station 3 of the Monroe Initiative. In a moment, you'll be given a simple set of instructions for how you and your partner will fulfill the responsibilities associated with the station. But first, a little history. The Dharma Initiative was created in 19. This orientation film obviously is so uh, iconic. I, I debated whether I should play uh, the audio from it all. I'm going to tack on the audio from the whole thing at the end of the podcast. But uh, I mean, uh, certainly anybody who's listening to this podcast is uh, familiar with the orientation film. And I mean, so much jumps out at uh, even on first viewing that this is Station Three, uh, in, called the Swan, and indeed. You can then assume that the symbol on the the uh, Dharma logo that we've seen, uh, even going back to last episode, that it isn't a, a snake, as many people thought, that it is a swan. Uh, and you know that if there's station three, then there are, there are at least two other stations, uh, and that Dharma must be the name of the whole thing. Um, and indeed, as the video goes on, you find out that the Dharma Initiative is a group of thinkers who wanted a research compound, uh, that they study all sorts of things, including zoology. And there's a picture of polar bears, and they study magnetism, like the magnetism that there is at the hatch here. Uh, There's also, of course, a reference to the incident, something that we'll have uh, revealed properly at the end of season five. I mean, goodness, you talk about long-term goals. You know, here we are three episodes into season uh, two, and then, you know, end of season five, we finally get to see the incident. Ironically, too, as this uh, video is going on, or I I keep calling it a video, as the film uh, is going on, uh, you know, we have Jack watching it. We have Kate nearby, and they, they both, uh, along with Hurley, will be there for the incident. And, uh, you know, when the, when the orientation film is done, there's just there's a, another meta moment that comes from uh, John Locke. We're going to need to watch that again. You know, no kidding. I mean, that's a moment built for, uh, for DVRs. That's a moment built for you know rewinding it if it's uh, you're watching it on demand on uh, on uh, Netflix whatever it might be. That's a moment, quite frankly, built for you know individuals illegally copying and uploading to YouTube and you know the network ignoring the the copyright violation just because of the the buzz and the rabid way that people want to uh, you know want, wanted to rewatch that and see some of these other clips. Anyhow. After the commercial break, there's a, a heartfelt scene of character shading, uh, Helen asking Locke to come closer to her uh, on an emotional level, to abandon his angry quest to see his father. Uh, Locke, of course, promises to stop, stop sneaking off to stalk his father, and he accepts Helen's house key. Uh, and back on the island, we have uh, Anna Lucia introducing herself, and she reveals that she's a tailie. Uh, but continues the ruse that Echo and the rest are others. It's a fairly generic enough scene, uh, though upon first viewing there is, of course, the amazement to have found another crash survivor. And uh, moving on, if anything, this episode, you know, it's about answers in many ways, despite all the questions that it asks as well. We have, you know, some answers about Anna Lucia, the tailies, the computer, Dharma, the contact that Desmond does not have with Dharma. Still, though, there are tons and tons of questions which remain. So these replacements. Calvin died waiting for his replacements. 
So you don't get out, you don't see anyone. Where's your food come from? You really think this is happening? Why wouldn't it be? It says quarantine on the inside of the hatch. Do you ever think that maybe they put you down here to push a button every hundred minutes just to see if you would? That all of this, the computer, the button, is just a mind game, an experiment. Every single day. There's a number of times in this season where um, questions like this are asked, or uh, I know in particular I'm thinking of, um, you know, there's a point uh, after uh, the, you know, after Ben, although we don't know him as Ben yet, but after Ben has been captured, and uh, at a certain point he's let out of his uh, little holding area, and uh, he kind of uh, almost chastises, uh, I think it's Jack and Saeed, but certainly Jack is there, he, he, he chastises them for not asking the questions which we at home essentially are asking that's kind of you know it's this moment of of ben you know kind of a, a meta moment so to speak and um it, there's a lot of that in season two so it's nice that they're uh it's nice that they're referencing some of these questions here um so anyhow and moving on uh, moving on here uh in last week's podcast i referenced the fact that for the second airing of adrift they added the twin towers uh in that Michael flashback to help establish time and place. And I said that I also wasn't aware uh, of the show having made any other changes like that. Uh, Of course, I then go to find out that in this episode, they did just that, that they have replaced the original picture of Desmond and unknown blonde woman with Desmond and Penny or, you know, the the two proper actors there. So, uh, so there you go. Kind of some of these changes for the, uh, for the forever edition of the show. Um, moving on with the computer broken once again, because uh, you know Desmond fixes it, then there's a big shower of sparks. Uh, Desmond hightails it out of there. Uh, you know, I have to wonder, for him, there must have been just this great sense of relief. I mean, yes, he knows that not pushing the button is catastrophic. He, you know, he witnessed it 44 days ago when he didn't push the button and the plane crashed. But I think in his mind, he's done all that he can do. And there's just kind of this sense of, you know, at least I'm free to go. You know, if it's this catastrophe that brings the world down, I'm d- fine. But if it's a catastrophe that I can somehow escape from from by running as fast as I can for 15 minutes while the, the, the timer counts down, darn it, I've done all I can do. I've done all that I was asked and then some. So adios, muchachos. Um, that, of course, is contrasted by Jack, who uh, also just, you know, simply just gets up and walks out. Um the contrast not being that one leaves and one doesn't because they both leave. But here we have Jack saying, okay, and he kind of wanders on out. You know, some leader here declaring Faith dead and just kind of walking away. Moments later, though, Kate and Hurley and Saeed show up. I wonder how it is that they didn't run into Jack on the way out. I mean, it literally it's probably 60 or 90 seconds that separate um, you know, that separate Jack's exit. And I mean, in, in showtime, too, not kind of this you know, kind of constructed, they go to commercial and come back sort of thing, you know, genuinely, they must have just missed Jack, so. Um, I must say, as a side note, I'm kind of slightly put off by the fact that Hurley rediscovering the Dharma, the, the Dharma pantry of food is kind of setting up the, the fat guy jokes that they like to do. You know, I've mentioned before, certainly there's this evidence from, in my mind, from early on in the show that Hurley uh, would make uh, a, a good leader as we see him at the end of the show but um, I think that sometimes they're a little too 
comical with Hurley, and I don't, I don't know. To, to me, he's he's comic when he's himself. They don't kind of need to force the issue to make him uh, to make him a comic character beyond what he naturally is. If that's if that's making any sense. Um, anyhow, at this point in the show, we then go back to the Tailies, uh, where Anna Lucia proves that she's Sawyer's equal by taking his gun, and then we have the big reveal. So it's this fantastic revelation here that she's a tailie. Uh, and then, of course, we have Echo's question, who are they? So it's it's just this wonderful moment where you're wondering, well, frankly, you're, you're wondering Echo's question about uh, Anne Lucy and Echo. You're wondering who in the world these people are. Uh, you know that you've seen her um, getting on the plane in, in the season finale from uh, season one. Uh, you know, she kind of seemed kind and demure uh, at that time. Uh, albeit with some sort of uh, world weariness that uh, Michelle Rodriguez carries with her in her performances, uh, but it's just like you know, I mean, we've we've seen the trials and tribulations of our our heroes uh, thus far, and you just wonder, you know, what in the world has happened uh, that that we see this that there's this craziness going on uh, with the tail section people, and um, it's just, I mean, boy, it's setting up so much fun. Uh, that's going to come, particularly when we get to the other 48 days, one of my favorite episodes. But uh, moving on, speaking of flawed people, um, we in the episode we uh, meet up again with Jack, who makes a case as to why perhaps this episode should have been called Man of Science, Man of Faith, uh, because clearly he is uh, anti-faith. Listen carefully. If by some miracle you manage to get that computer working again, you got your end of the code. 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Hit execute. Again, 4, 8, 15. Shut six. up! Sorry? Nothing is going to happen. Some man takes you down there, shows you a movie, and you push a button on, on faith alone. Nothing is going to happen! In about 15 minutes, you're either going to be very right or very wrong, brother. You want to shoot me? Shoot me. But I'm not Why are you running? You don't even know what you're running from! There's just this, I don't know. I mean, it, I think even, uh, you know, my the fact that I'm a Jack hater, I don't think that that really comes into play here uh, in, in looking at that clip. He's just so voraciously against the faith that Desmond has placed in the button and in the mechanism of it. Uh, you know, I don't mean the physical mechanism, but kind of the all that it represents, even though Desmond has said he wonders every day if this is all some some sort of, uh, you know, mind experiment or social experiment. It's just that he is so incredibly um, tied to the faith that it does mean something that he doesn't want to actually find out what uh, not having that faith would be like. And then here you have Jack, who's just 
I mean, not just yelling, but kind of, you know, his, it's a yell that's a little bit higher. It's you know, him saying, how could you do that? Not, you know, stop and listen to me. And it's just this, this declaration on Jack's part to say, no, you have to, you know, you have to, you have to go on the scientific route on this one. You have to go the logical route. There must be logic here. There can't be any faith. And it's just, it's a very, very, um, I mean, I, th- I think it's very foretelling of who Jack is. Uh, well, I guess foretelling would suggest it would be in the future, but I mean, certainly Jack's uh, lack of faith in things kind of lack, uh, I mean, thinking perhaps uh, to, uh, you know, his faith in the uh, the freighter people as, as you know, logically as saviors because they say they are and not, not some sort of uh, unknown threat. But um, as I say, Jack, he just comes across as clearly anti-faith. And, and I don't mean faith in a strictly religious sense, um, but does he ever ask what happens if the counter gets down to zero? He just, he's just so sure of his point of view that he doesn't want to hear, you know, some sort of quote-unquote faith argument of, you know, why do you feel this way? Just, you know, er, Jack. Anyhow, so Jack is told these numbers. He he brings them back to the hatch, and uh, there's a fairly standard scene of Saeed fixing, fixing the computer just in time. Uh, Locke and Jack, you know, they have their verbal swords over pushing the button, who should push the button, etc. And, you know, I, I couldn't help but feel slightly bored with that scene. Clearly, Locke is fixated on converting Jack out of a sense of faith and destiny. And clearly, Jack is pushing back. It's a familiar road, and the tension feels kind of slightly constructed as the timer is literally counting down. Um, The Jack accepts faith, though, you know, the faith to push the button does feel like a slight forecast of where he'll end up as a man accepting of faith and of purpose. So uh, I suppose there's a bit of a uh, bit of silver lining in that scene. And I mean, indeed, that scene, you know, the unfortunate thing of it is it, it's the final scene. It's just, you know, it's one of these episodes that just sort of stops after pushing the button lock says, you know, I'll take the first shift and the episode just ends. It's it's um, another one of these episodes where, you know, you don't need to necessarily end on a on a cliffhanger in every single episode doesn't need to be that. But this is just an episode where they just kind of run out of story. You don't kind of feel any sort of sense of of closure. Um, and I mean, of course, not that you need a sense of closure in such a serialized show, but this has been a self-contained episode, as all these episodes are meant to be viewed, you know, one episode at a time, this sort of thing. And it's just, I don't know, it's just one of these episodes that stops. So, though the episode has stopped, of course, our podcast does not. Let me take a quick look at Lostpedia to see whatever little bits and pieces I have missed. Lostpedia says this, uh, that this episode was originally intended to be the final appearance of Desmond. However, due to strong critical response to his character, he was brought back for the finale and subsequently became a regular in the following four seasons. So, you know, uh, there's obviously this endless debate of how uh, how much of the show was planned out ahead of time. I mean, the statement that they were they were viewing Desmond as a one-off character, or maybe not one-off, but to ha- have only appeared in uh, three episodes. I mean, it goes to show you that every little last detail wasn't forecast. But, I mean, can you imagine the following four seasons without Desmond? I mean, just think of that. This notion of, you know, the, the love uh, of Penny, uh, her role in the entire show, perhaps not as a, as a major foreground character, but she certainly is 
in the background and on the edges making things happen. Uh, and it's such a statement, uh, you know, about their love. Penny as the, you know, the Penelope to Desmond's uh, Ulysses and, and all that that, uh, all that that has therein. You know, it's just, uh, you know, as I said before, Desmond is probably my favorite character for the entire, uh, for the entire series. And, well, it's been great to have him uh, in these first three episodes. And uh, it's a pity that we don't see him again until the end of the season. Uh, the other bit from Lostpedia, as I as I indeed had mentioned, was that the photograph of Desmond and Penny originally had Henry Ian Cusick with a woman who clearly was not actress Sonia Walger. Uh, Sonia was not hired to portray the character of Penny until the season finale, and uh, that it was corrected for subsequent airings of this episode and for the DVD release. So that certainly does tidy up one of the... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a minor continuity error back then, but I mean... It, it was something that uh, I think readily the um, the lost community was was willing to say. Well, you know, it, this isn't some sort of hint that it's two separate women. You know, they kind of accepted it as it was. So, anyhow, with that, we now have to accept that this podcast is uh, wrapping up. Let's look ahead to next week. Next week's episode is two hundred four, entitled "Everybody Hates Hugo." So I'm sure we're going to get lots of uh, jaunty Latin-inspired music and uh, you know Hugo hijinks. Um, and a reminder too that new episodes launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Mondays. If you'd like to share your feedback, there's a number of ways to do it. You can call the voice message line at 732-707-1815. You can just share what all what all comes to mind. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. You can send me an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage, which is located at lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And of course, you can always find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated. So thank you very, very much for listening to this uh, wonderful episode orientation. And uh, hopefully the podcast was half as wonderful as the episode itself. And I look forward to speaking to you all next week with Everyone Hates Hugo. Take care and bye-bye. Save the world together for a while, and that was lovely. Then Kelvin died, and now here I am all alone. The end. Welcome. I'm Dr. Marvin Candle. This is the orientation film for Station 3 of the Monroe Initiative. In a moment, you'll be given a simple set of instructions for how you and your partner will fulfill the responsibilities associated with the station. But first, a little history. The Dharma Initiative was created in 1970 and is the brainchild of Gerald and Karen the Groot, two doctoral candidates at the University of Michigan. Following in the footsteps of visionaries such as B.F. Skinner, imagine a large-scale communal research compound where scientists and freethinkers from around the globe could pursue research in meteorology, psychology, parapsychology, zoology, electromagnetism, and utopian social exclusive Danish industrialist and munitions magnate Alvar Hanso, whose financial backing made their dream of a multi-purpose social science research facility a reality. 
You and your partner are currently located in Station 3, or the Swan, and will be for the next 540 days. The Station 3 was originally constructed as a laboratory where scientists could work to understand the unique electromagnetic fluctuations emanating from this sector of the island. Not long after the experiments began, however, there was an incident. And since that time, the following protocol has been observed. Every 108 minutes, the button must be pushed. From the moment the alarm sounds, you will have four minutes to enter the code into the microcomputer processor, induction into the program. When the alarm sounds, either you or your partner must input the code. It is highly recommended that you and your partner take alternating shifts. In this manner, you will both stay as fresh and alert to the utmost importance that when the alarm sounds, the code be entered correctly and in a timely fashion. And do not attempt to use a computer for any... Congratulations. Until your replacements arrive, the future of the project is in your hands. On behalf of the DeGroots, Alvar Hanso, and all of us at the Dharma Initiative, thank you. Namaste. And good luck. Wow, you're still here. You are an impressive listener. Share some feedback, won't you? 732-707-1815, twitter.com slash lookingbacklost, or email lookingbacklost at gmail.com.